this is definitely just from my experience in our office um, and the people I've talked to, this is a very women dominated field more recently. And I think that's awesome. I mean, anybody can do forensics. Sometimes I think men get a little more freaked out than women. So they tend to go more on the cop and police side. But any, really, anybody can do forensics if you're interested. Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. There are many people involved in making a medical examiner's office run smoothly. We've talked about a few of those roles already. Today, we'll be talking about the role of the autopsy technician. My guests are Jess and Alice, who also happen to be hosts of another podcast called Inside the Morgue. If this is a podcast that debunks your favorite true crime dramas and tells you the truth about what really happens in the world of forensics. And if you're not careful, they might teach you something also. All right, let's go Inside the Morgue with Jess and Alice. Before we start talking about the podcast, which everybody out there, if you're not already listening to, you really should be. It's great. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But I want to kind of get uh, a little bit about each of you first, because you you give kind of bits and pieces in different episodes about your sort of, uh, I guess, life before the morgue. And I, I kind of want to get the full like origin story from each of you, if, if we could. So let's kind of go back to, I guess, college and talk about you know, like what you were interested in and, you know, what you you were majoring in and things like that. What kind of what fields you were interested in at that time? Yeah, I like how you called it an origin story. I feel like Batman now. <laughs> okay, good. That, that was good. That was the point. All right. uh, so I got my bachelor's of science in biological sciences. I graduated in 2015 and I worked in a molecular lab at an infectious disease, like a biotech startup company. And I thought that's what I wanted to do. I was very into cellular and molecular biology uh, in my undergrad. And I worked there for a while and I've always had an interest in forensics. So I would, I always listen to forensics podcasts and true crime podcasts. And I was like, wow, I wish I could do something like this. And I eventually decided, you know what, why can't I? And five years after working in molecular biology, I decided to make the switch and I applied to get my master's in biomedical sciences, concentrating in forensic biology, which is what I did. And while I was there, I was a teaching assistant in an anatomy lab and I fell in love with anatomy. And that's when I was like, okay, this is the specific fields I want to be in where I can do this every day. And that's how I ended up where I am now. Okay. Okay. That, that's cool. So then the, in the infectious disease lab, like what kind of infectious diseases are we talking about? So what the company did is we made uh, testing controls for different like medical labs and other stuff for their equipment. So say if you went to the doctor and you needed to be tested for a strep or something, the doctor's office might need a positive testing control to test your sample against. So we would make that positive sample of strep for them to test against, but we made it and it's a patented process that the company used. It was like a non-infectious strain so that it could be safely used and could test different medical equipment. So I did a lot of PCR, which is polymerase chain reaction, a lot of DNA and RNA testing on different viruses, bacteria, fungi, you name it. It was a lot of stuff. 
Okay. That sounds super interesting. It was. It was, yeah, it was really cool, but I really enjoy what I'm doing now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. And, and uh, Jess, let's go to you then. It, uh, uh, what's your origin story? My origin story. I love it. Life before the morn. <laughs> yes. Um, so I started, I didn't start off in the field of biology when I started college. I did a criminal justice major. I had this dream of going and working for the FBI, going to Quantico. I wanted to be a detective. And then some part of me got really scared to do that. So I was like, oh, like I still want to be involved in this field some way. So I switched my major uh, my sophomore year from criminal justice to forensic bio. I wasn't behind at all, thank God. But I kind of fell in love with biology at that point in my life. And then I did an internship at the coroner's office. And that is when I fell in love with forensics. I saw my first autopsy on my first day there. And I said, yes, this is the field path for me. This is what I want to do. So then um, I graduated college in 2020 during the peak pandemic times and then went right into getting my master's. I got my master's in forensic medicine. And then my first year, it was a two-year program, so my first year in the master's program, I got a job in the field and I was working at at a whole body donation center. So like when you die, you have the option to donate your body to science. And I was working in the lab that had donors come in and we would prepare them, uh, do procurements. And then we worked with different clients worldwide and shipped parts that they ordered for kind of like bettering science. Like they were working on different implants like different surgeries and they would work on the cadaver parts before getting to a real donor um, or like patient and then I saw the job of autopsy tech opening up during like my second year and so I was like this is what I want to do this is why I'm going to school so I immediately applied for it and got it and it's been a dream ever since (laughs) okay so I guess for both of you, like with the interest in biology and the interest in, then in forensics, did you ever consider like medical school and like forensic pathology that like that way? I considered medical school for a hot minute and then okay. realized that I don't have the drive in me to do that. I didn't have a passion to want to be a doctor um, and work on like living patients. I wanted to be on the opposite side and speak for those who didn't have a voice. I also very much considered medical school. I even took the MCAT and I did okay. I did fairly well. I didn't, I'm not great at standardized testing. I'll admit it, but I did well enough to apply, but I decided not to because when I was actually an anatomy teaching assistant, um, a lot of my fellow teaching assistants were applying or had already gotten into med school And I was talking to them about it and they all had this kind of air of excitement about medical school. And I realized, oh, I don't feel like that about this. I'm just doing this because I feel like I have to. And I was talking to someone one day and they're like, well, what do you feel like that kind of excitement about? And I was like, well, I love doing the dissections in the anatomy lab. I love doing this kind of thing. I love, I would love to do autopsies and And they actually told me to talk to someone at the school who was an autopsy technician. And that's who I ended up reaching out to. 
And I sat down and chatted with her for a bit about what she did. And she ended up letting me know when there was a job available to be an autopsy technician. And that's how I got my job. Yeah, I think working on living patients, I think would just be too stressful for me to handle. I don't want to have somebody's life in my hands. Yeah. I mean, you still kind of do in in a way. Or, or I suppose like what kind of what ended their life, maybe. Right. There is. That's true. Yeah. yeah. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now you both have master's degrees. I mean, is that required for an autopsy tech? No, I don't okay. know. It's not required. It's just highly recommended. Okay. You really only need a bachelor's to actually be an autopsy tech. There's no certifications either that are required. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then what, what is the training like to become an autopsy tech? It's mainly all hands-on learning. Like you learn on the job. I had a lot of experience before being an autopsy tech. When I was working at the Whole Body Donation Center, I we were cutting and doing procurements on donors every day. And I was doing that for a full year. So I learned a lot of my cutting and dissection skills from that. And that helped me in my training when I got the job as an, as an autopsy tech. Yeah, I got a lot of my like introductory training in working in the anatomy lab at my school. And then, like Jess said, it was a lot of hands-on training on the job. I think my first day or two, I just kind of stood back and observed Jess. Like She kind of just gave me the rundown of what goes into doing our job. And then after that, it was like, all right, let's get you in there. Like <laughs> You learn best by doing. And uh, yeah. All of the doctors that we work with, too, they yes. they helped guide and kind of show us their style. Then we developed our own cutting style. That's one of my favorite things about our job is we work with a, a lot of different doctors and you kind of pick up like different techniques from each doctor and create your own style, which I've really enjoyed like learning mm-hmm. from a lot of different people. And they're all great. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Is there like a, a certain amount of time or maybe a certain number of autopsies you're required to do as a trainee? Not in our office. I'm not sure how other offices work, but for us, it was really you're hired now. Um, so I had like other per diem techs train me and help help me figure out the best way to go about a dissection, like the routine of an autopsy. And I think I did that for like a month or two. And then after it was me by myself until Alice was hired as our second full-time tech. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wasn't like by myself cutting in the morgue for like three or four months. Like I always had mm-hmm. you there or a doctor there that was, or sometimes I think a per diem there, like guiding me and helping me if I needed. But yeah. It was a few months before I was like working on my own. Like I was, I worked weekends. I think first time I worked weekends was four months into the job, which is when I was like the only tech in the room with the doc. Okay. And how did that feel? Was that scary? To oh, be I on was your terrified. Like <laughs> <laughs> and I, Jess was great. Jess knew it was my first Saturday alone. And she texted me that morning. It was like, you're going to do great. Just remember these three things. And like gave me a list of things to do that day. She's like, don't forget this, this, and this. You're going to be fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, once, once I did it one time by myself, I was like, okay, I can do this. Like felt like really took the training wheels off at that point. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's, that's cool. Yeah. So it sounds like you both kind of had in your previous jobs and you had kind of experience in 
you know, like you said, cutting and dissection and things like that. But w- once you started getting into being an autopsy tech, was there anything that you found difficult or like hard to get used to? Smells. There was. Oh, yes, definitely <laughs> the smells. I like it. Okay. <laughs> There's somewhat of a learning curve. We uh, we do forensic photography for all of our cases. We do that every day, and there was a learning curve with our like our professional camera that we use and doing like professional autopsy photos that are um like miami standard mm-hmm. wait my, miami standard i haven't heard of that what does that mean so there's when you take like organ photos we do like general uh standard autopsy photos and then we also do organ photos for everything and there's always a blue background so it white balances um there's always a label you shoot everything in three in case you have to superimpose something and the, one of the doctors that we work with has been great in teaching us uh, that because she trained, she trained in Miami for a period of time, and she brought a lot of her knowledge and taught us everything. I wanted to ask you, like, what what you find is the most rewarding part of your job? Other than getting to do something that I love every day, mm-hmm. and something it's it's different every day. Like it keeps you on your toes. It's exciting and. Sometimes that's stressful, but most of the time it's just really exciting and rewarding. One of my favorite parts is if we ever get a Jane or a John Doe, if we're able to give them a name, like if we are able to get successful fingerprint hits or just if we're able to assist on a dental exam with a forensic odontologist and we're able to get them a name that way, that's been one of the coolest parts, I think. Yeah, I'm definitely very much not an office desk type person for a job so having this job and doing although we do do the same things every day what we see is always different and I love that about our job and I like one of the most rewarding parts is probably like teaching we have a bunch of interns and students that rotate throughout our office and I love getting to interact with them and showing them what we do and getting more people interested in forensics I also love finding all of the evidence for like manner and cause of death as we go through. Okay. That was a good, I can, I can kind of relate to, I, I guess, both of those. I mean, obviously my job is as a pathologist assistant is different, but the fact that I, yeah, I see different things every single day, you know, even though it's sometimes it's, they're the same specimens, they're always different, like, like you're saying, yeah. and just teaching students, you know, we have pathology residents where I work mm-hmm. and just, you know, teaching someone and having, watching that kind of light bulb go on when they when they get it and they understand yeah yeah I, I, yeah that's that's very rewarding i like that a lot okay because you're dealing with death every single day how do you deal with kind of the emotional or sort of psychological aspects of of being around death all the time you just got to talk about it you either therapy i'm i'm not currently in therapy but if that is how you deal with it. I fully support it. In our office, we have a great set of coworkers. We all talk to each other. So we're all like understanding of the cases that come in um, and the situations that we're all dealing with. So talking to them about how we're feeling uh, is probably how I deal with it. Yeah, I, I agree. Our office is really great. We really prioritize mental health and we our our team recognizes when there's going to be a tougher day with tougher cases and we always check in with each other 
like we'll have some of our investigators will come into the back and be like, hey, Jess and Alice, are you doing okay with this? We know this is a hard day. Do you need anything from us? And like vice versa, we'll do that for them. And like Jess said, I think talking about it and not trying to put on a brave face when something's getting to you because I tried to do that when I first started because I got scared because I, I had certain cases that stuck with me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really bothering me. Does this mean I'm not cut out for this? But like, I still loved it, but I was just certain things were getting to me emotionally. But I tried to like bottle it up because I was like, all right, I got to be tough about this. But then uh, I was talking to other people in the office and Jess and I was like, oh, this gets to everybody. Like we all have feelings. We're not robots. <laughs> it's good to talk about it. Yeah, you can't. You can't come compartmentalize your emotions. You, Even if you talk about it with people who aren't in the field, just having that support from them to like family and friends. Mm-hmm. Are you able to do that with, with like family and friends? I mean, do people want to hear your, your work stories? Because I, I have a few friends that really don't you know, want to hear about it. My boyfriend is definitely one of the people that doesn't always love to hear about it. But if I do have those rough days... He'll just sit there and he'll listen to me and try his best. Same with my family. Like, there's cases. And I'll tell them, like, oh, like, I saw something really cool today. And my mom just kind of gets grossed out. But if I tell her, I was like, I have, a, I had a really, like, tough day today. Can I just talk and you listen? That helps, too. Mm-hmm. I have a similar situation. My boyfriend doesn't always love to hear about it. He's really proud of me. Loves that I'm doing what I love. And sometimes I'll text him at work, like, hey, I'm going to have a tough day today might need to talk about it later if you're open to it. Also, my parents are both really great about listening. My mom loves hearing about everything I do. My dad is a little more squeamish and doesn't love it all, but he knows when I have tougher days and he'll check in. He's like, you know, you can talk to me if you want. And it's just really sweet that they're both willing to be there for me, even though they might not always love to hear about it. <laughs> sure, sure. And that, that is great to have that support both at home and at work. And I wonder if this is kind of a new or I guess newer sort of attitude, just talking about it more. Cause it seems like in the past, you know, like you were saying earlier, like you, you feel like, you know, that means you can't handle it or you're somehow weak or something like that. So I like the attitude of being able to be open about it. That's great. I really like it too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is the people of pathology podcast with our guests, Jess and Alice from inside the morgue. We'll be right back. If you're trying to understand the ever-changing world of digital pathology and image analysis, there's a new course that can help you, Pathology 101 for Tissue Image Analysis. Now, this course was created by Dr. Alexandra Zhurov, who you might remember from episode 53 of this podcast. She also writes the Digital Pathology Place blog and hosts the Digital Pathology Podcast. Pathology 101 for Tissue Image Analysis aims to bridge the gap between computer science and pathology and explains some of the complicated concepts in image analysis. You can sign up for this course by following the link in the show notes. LabVine is an interactive online learning platform where laboratory professionals learn, develop, and discover by sharing knowledge and building on each other's experience. The platform provides global access to internationally accredited laboratory-specific courses and other resources developed by lab specialists, like us, for the laboratory industry. LabVine is free to sign up, and you can use the link in the show notes to get started. Now let's go back inside the morgue with Jess and Alice on the People of Pathology podcast. So, all right, let's get into the podcast. So it's called Inside the Morgue and since we were doing origin stories of the two of you earlier, let's get the origin story of the podcast. How did, how did you come up with the idea? 
so we were talking about it at work one day and we're like, hey, like, what if we decided to start a podcast? And then we were like bouncing off names. The morgue went around for a hot minute. And then I was talking to my boyfriend and he was like, what about inside the morgue? And I was like, that's amazing. That's it. <laughs> we're doing it. I think <laughs> it had originally started as like a joke. I was like, what if we opened a bar called the morgue and like, yeah, we could have fun themed drinks. And then Jess was like, what about a podcast? And I was like, wait a minute. That's actually a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an interesting bar. Um. <laughs> So how long did it take, you know, once you had this idea and, and this really good name, how long did it take to start recording the episodes? Jess, I'm going to give Jess the credit on this one. Jess was all over it. As soon as we got the idea, Jess was looking up how to record a podcast, what like account we could record on, like where to record, where to publish. And like she found we use uh, Spotify for podcasters and she found that and took off and figured out how to zoom and how to record locally and it we i think it was like a week later we recorded our first episode yeah we did like a a little trailer like a teaser trailer and then found like figured the idea uh setting for like our weekly episodes what we would do and then yeah once I have an idea in my head, I like I have to follow through. I know I was I was totally thinking I was like well, when I first brought when we like first were chatting about it, I was like okay, this might not happen. And then like an hour later, Jess came into my office and she's like, okay, but if we wanted to do this, we could do this, this, and this. And I was like, <laughs> okay, let's do it. <laughs> That's impressive. It took me months to once I had because I had kind of a friend of mine gave me sort of the idea and it took me months to before I started really acting on it. So that, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. That, in a, in a that would have been me, but Jess really <laughs> took the reins on that one. Thank you. <laughs> so then uh, how did you come up with, with the format that you wanted to use? I mean, you're, you're talking about different crime dramas and kind of, uh, you know, debunking them. And I want to talk about your red flag and green flag format and all that stuff. How did this format come about? I got to give credit to Alice. I think she came up with this idea because we didn't really want to talk about the cases that we work on in our county just for like privacy reasons, respecting um, decedents and families and loved ones. Yeah. But like everybody watches these crime shows and they're everywhere and there's so many of them. And we were like, well, the CSI effect and everybody thinks that this is what actually happens. What if we tell them how it actually happens though? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, I thought I thought it would be fun because Jess and I have talked about it before. I'll be like, oh, do you watch CSI? Do you watch Law and Order? Do you watch this? Do you see what they did in this episode? It was crazy. And I was like, who wants to watch forensic shows with us? And apparently certain some people do. <laughs> a lot of people do. I mean, sitting in the room with us might be a little annoying because I'm constantly like, that's not right. That's not right. Oh, they got that right. <laughs> I mean, you're right. Everybody does. Those shows are all so popular. So it's a good, mm-hmm. it's a good format to use. I like that. And then the, like I said, that you have the red flags and the green flags. Can we, let's just explain what, what that is. So green flag is for something the show gets right. And that's forensically accurate in our eyes with our experience. And red flag is the opposite. Something that is totally incorrect, totally wrong or unsafe, just like a bad practice in forensics. Or something that TV just made up. Yeah, sometimes there's something I've never heard of. And it's just, I was like, I think yeah, they just like, made this up for TV. 
Okay. What what about something like you, you know they always say like uh, the the tox comes back in like five minutes or oh something when, or the DNA and stuff. Oh, so inaccurate. So inaccurate. Yeah. <laughs> there was one episode of I think it was the show Rosewood we did recently where they did a, a forensic facial reconstruction off of DNA and they got it in like an hour. Like someone came running in with the facial reconstruction, like we have it here, and I'm like that would not. Take. that would not be done in the same day never <laughs> yeah that was that was a good episode I, I listened to that one and just how, how he was rosewood is like involved in every single part of the investigation yes that's the other thing he has the role of about 20 people he doesn't yeah. need a whole office it's just him he's like a superhero <laughs> he's the entire payroll yeah. <laughs> right with all his little devices that mostly don't exist i know i was just gonna say all, all his like little gizmos and gadgets it's made up by tv <laughs> i mean i guess it, it does it does make for good tv most of the time i was just but, gonna say i do love these shows like i i know we complain about them a lot but i will sit down and watch any of these shows any day of the week <laughs> do, do you have a favorite i am a big fan of law and order svu and ncis i love both of those shows okay yeah that's fair Jess, how about you? I love CSI. I've loved CSI for like ever. All the spinoffs too, but classic CSI. I could watch any episode. The CSI, like, okay, the original one I think is my favorite. And, you know, you got to like Miami, I guess, yeah. too. I was just going to ask <laughs> just, you what your favorite one is. Oh, it's Dexter. Oh, wait. You know what? Nice. I changed my answer. Dexter. <laughs> well, w- with, with, with an exception. So Dexter, except for the last season. Oh, you didn't like it? I don't want to no. get spoilers, but no, I no. it's, I guess, well, the, the season was good. I guess the ending. Oh, okay. I understand that. But yeah, but then the new, you know, Dexter new blood was pretty good. Oh, I'm pretty sorry. Good. I thought yeah. that's what you meant by the last season. That's what, okay. I totally understand. Oh. Season eight. Yeah. Wasn't a big fan of season yes. eight. The new blood. I, I kind of enjoyed, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Although I wish it had been a couple episodes longer. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. Oh, another thing I wanted to ask you about. So in your episode, you, you go through, you know, the, whichever TV episode you happen to be watching and critiquing. And then at the end of it, you start talking about a real case that is similar to what was portrayed in the TV episode. And I'm curious about this. Like, how do you, some of them, it seems like you already knew about these cases. Other ones, like, do you, do you research them? How, how hard do you have to look for these? Alice does a lot of our researching we really search like our our Google searches. I'm just gonna say this search history. If you looked at it, uh, it's questionable. <laughs> we just put in like keywords like underwater body I was in just... <laughs> sewer, my something favorite, like that. My favorite Google search I ever did was scuba dive true crime, and like <laughs> I found one okay. that was exactly like the episode, and I was like, oh my god, I can't believe this actually happened. I thought I wasn't gonna find anything. They always say, like, these shows aren't based on true events, but, like, these crazy things, they're loosely, these crazy things happen in real life, and it's insane. Yeah, and there's certain certain shows where it's, like, if it was based off of a well-known case, like, I think one of the Law & Order SVU cases we did recently, it was based off the Elizabeth Smart case, and everybody knows that case. So that mm-hmm. one we were watching and Jess and I were both like, oh, okay, this sounds like Elizabeth Smart. Yeah. We know what this one is. And we still did research to get a little more info on it. And 
but that one it like just clicked immediately other times we have to do a little more internet sleuthing to figure out what could it be related to okay so you're probably both on some list I'm just definitely. from your google searches <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely <laughs> but but i like that part of your episodes because it you know you go through the the tv episode and it's it's pretty entertaining and then you talk about a real case and so this is kind of the educational part like is that kind of the point there yeah exactly yep yeah we like the i i mean i like it at least i don't want to speak for jess but i like debunking well i get i like watching these shows like i just said and then i like debunking and like educating at the same time and then like oh did you know this actually happened in real life and educating further that way because everyone is so wrapped up in true crime. So I feel yeah. like having that portion of our show and relating back to like real forensics is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, li- I like that part a lot. So lately, you've had a couple of guests on your podcast. You had the crime scene queens. And then more recently, the uh, it was uh, forensics world. I forget the guy's name. Will Dodd. Will. Will. Yeah, right. <laughs> So I'm curious about that then. Do you have like a, a dream guest that you'd like to have? And I'm going to say this can be either a real person or a TV character from one, one of these shows. Jess, do you want to go first? I don't I don't want to steal your answer, but having Ducky uh, for N- NCIS. I was going to say Ducky. Oh, love it. Love it, yes. <laughs> Ducky was definitely or, on my list. <laughs> or like um, Quincy mm. from Quincy MD. Oh, that's a good one too. I like it. I okay, so I also want Ducky. I would also mm-hmm. take Abby from NCIS. I love her. Yep, that would be a fun one. And um, what's his name? Horatio from CSI Miami. Just so he can say something witty and like put on his sunglasses with while the, we're with sunglasses. <laughs> that would have to be a video interview, just so people could see him put on his sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> or okay. Olivia Benson, SVU. Love her. Oh, good one. Okay. Those are all really good answers. (laughs) Do you have a dream guest for your podcast? Well, I've had some of the, some of the dream guests that I've had, I've, I, they've actually been on the podcast, but I mean, if we're talking about the the TV shows, I would, I would go with Abby also Mm. for sure. But I didn't think of ducky. That's a good one. He he would probably (laughs) have really some really great stories to tell for for sure. sure. Uh, You mentioned the, CSI effect uh, a little bit earlier, and, and you've talked about it several times throughout Inside the Morgue th- through, I think, a few episodes. And I'm, I'm curious about this, and I know I, I've talked about it on this podcast with a few other people also. I'm curious about what you think about the CSI effect. Do you think it is helpful to the field of forensics, or do you think it's detrimental? Or maybe both? I was, I was going to say it might sound like a cop-out answer, but I think a little bit both. Because I love that people are interested in CSI and forensics because I feel like what our jobs it shouldn't be a taboo subject. And like we can be respectful and we can talk about it and we and everybody's morbidly curious. Everybody's a little curious about what we do and we can talk about it and be respectful. But it's also the opposite side of that is you get people who think they know they know everything by watching these shows or like they know how things should be done. And yeah, then you get people who think they know your job better than you do. And that can be tough. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's both uh, helpful and hurtful because these people, everyone loves these shows and you can watch 10 seasons of 
uh, SVU or CSI and think that you're an expert, but you've never worked a day in the field, so you don't really know what exactly you're talking about until you talk to somebody in the field and they're like, mm, that's not it. Yeah. And I will admit, before I worked in forensics, I was one of those people who like binge watched all these shows and listened to forensics podcasts and true crime podcasts and was like, I know all these things. And then I went <laughs> to school for it and I was like, wow. <laughs> I didn't know all I these know nothing. <laughs> I know nothing. <laughs> yeah. I, so a couple things about that. Like I've heard that is, is even affected like j- juries because they think mm-hmm. that from watching these shows, that yeah. they know more than, more than the investigators. Right. And I've never had to testify, but I can't imagine how frustrating that must be to have to speak to a jury who yeah. thinks they know more than you do about something you've been not only like you paid to be educated in it, but you've been working in the field for so long and it has to be so frustrating. Cause then it's like, they're almost not listening to you and they're supposed to have this unbiased opinion about everything. Mm-hmm. And they come in with all of these thoughts already. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can imagine that that's, that has to be frustrating, but a, a positive thing that I've also heard about is it seems like it has allowed or has uh, helped more women get into the field because of, of an interest in, in forensics and with these TV shows realizing that, that, you know, that they, they can get into these areas too. I mean, obviously with the two of you that, that kind, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. I think representation definitely matters. So seeing a woman or more people of color in like a forensics type setting, I, I know I've definitely spoken to people who have said that they were inspired to get into uh, CSI or forensics because of Abby from NCIS and I'm like oh my god that's great like you found your passion through a tv show like I'm so happy for you that's so cool and I know I definitely I watched all these shows with my mom and I remember she's like I think you'd be really good at doing something like this and I was like really and it's like yeah I would I really do love like watching all this stuff and learning about it maybe I'll give it a shot and yeah yeah I was gonna say this is definitely just from my experience in our office um, and the people I've talked to, this is a very women-dominated field more recently. And I think that's awesome. I mean, anybody can do forensics. Sometimes I think men get a little more freaked out (laughs) than women, so they tend to go more on the cop and police side. But really, anybody can do forensics if you're interested. Yeah. Okay, okay, I like it. So CSI effect, we're going to say... Partially good and partially bad, I think. Yeah, it gets yeah. a red flag and a green flag. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. I love it. All right. Uh, Jess and Alice. All right, so first of all, everybody, once again, the, the podcast is called Inside the Morgue. I'll have links in the show notes where you can listen to the podcast. Jess and Alice, this has been super interesting. I appreciate hearing your origin stories as well as the origin story for the podcast. Thank, thank you both. Thank you both very much. This has been fun. Thank you so Thank much. You. For this is awesome. Yes, we love your podcast too, and we're so excited to be on it. <laughs> cool. If you're looking for another episode of the People of Pathology podcast to check out after this one, here's a clip from my interview with Dr. Greg Davis as we talk about the importance of forensic pathology in public health. Public health really is founded on death certification. And the, the whole point, pe- people think of a death certificate as some sort of obligate. They have to have it to unlock their accounts or something when someone in their family dies. And that's true. But the whole reason death certificates exist is to record the, the name, age, 
sex, those sorts of demographic information data, and then couple that with what was the medical condition that caused this person to die. And then you can study that and see, oh, well, there's, there's, an, there's an increase in, in a cholera or, or what have you. This, this all started several hundred years ago. But by studying death, it's possible to prevent unnecessary death in those who are still living. So forensic pathology is very much caught up in that. You can hear more from Dr. Greg Davis in episode 87. All right, so great big thanks to Jess and Alice. This one was a lot of fun. But also, I think it's great that they're showing what really happens in forensics. And they're trying to teach people something through their platform. And I'm always in favor of that. And yeah, okay, these are TV shows and they're supposed to be for entertainment purposes. But they have definitely had a cultural effect on our society. I mean, as we talked about in the interview, both a, both a positive effect and a negative one. So it's nice to see that they're out there trying to set the record straight on these things. And sometimes it's just fun to analyze these shows anyway. So once again, the podcast is called Inside the Morgue. I'll have links in the show notes where you can find it. Also, I'll have a link to their Instagram page, which is pretty interesting as well. And remember, you can follow this show on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at People of Path or just connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you for continuing to share the show with others. Together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. You can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network. And while you're there, check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Dennis Strank, and I'll talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.